These days, there's so much content out there, so how do you know what's worth your time? We want to give you our take on the best stories we've discovered recently. So listen in as we talk about books, podcasts, TV shows, and movies we love. Hyperlink is hyperlink. 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 Connection. Hello, and welcome to Season 1 of Hyperlink Radio, Episode 3. I'm today's host, Karen Beattie. Hyperlink Radio is a biannual series of podcast episodes that explores how we connect with each other, with our technology, and the world around us. We are proudly produced by Winning Edits, which publishes the biannual magazine Hyperlink. Listen to Hyperlink Radio through iTunes, Stitcher, or however you listen to your podcasts. My name is Karen Beattie, and I'm Managing Editor for Winning Edits. And one of my favorite things that I'm reading right now, which actually I'm rereading because it's one of my favorite books of all time, is Gilead by Marilyn Robinson. That is sitting on my shelf waiting for me right now. It's sitting on mine as well. My name is Known Wells. Um, that name came from Hippie Parents. Associate Editor is my current title, but that will change uh, probably by the time this comes out. Doesn't matter. I do writing and editing and other things for winning edits. Um, and a current thing I'm uh, enjoying is probably... Um, so G- uh, it's called Demon, um, and it's a little graphic novel series by Jason Shiga. Demon is about like a guy who's trying to kill himself. Every time he does, he wakes up in the same sort of shady motel. He's going to try to figure out why that's happening. And it's very profane and heartbreaking and pretty pretty absurdist. Um, so that's Demon by Jason Shiga, and that's what I'm enjoying. <laughs> um, I'm Mindy Hollihan peters and I am the senior web producer for Winning Edits. And I am obsessed with advice podcasts. And... Um, so the advice podcast that I will throw out, um, I'm sure I will mention other ones, but I really love Judge John Hodgman, which is maybe less about advice. I guess he, and he even explicitly says it's not advice, but people bring their disputes to him and he renders judgment. Um, and I love it. Um, great questions on that show include, like, will you make my dad stop telling this really terrible dad joke to every, like, waiter that he sees, or... Um, you know, will you make my husband play with this dog that he really wanted? I don't know. Super great. Love it. So Judge John Hodgman, check it out from MaximumFun.org. Hey, I am Ray Sylvester. I am uh, a writer and editor with Winning Edits, and um, I'm currently very much enjoying right now the um, OK Not OK album, which is the uh, remastered, re-released version of uh, Radiohead's 1997 OK Computer album, which is my favorite album of all time. I can't say that I'm the biggest Radiohead fan in the world, because that would be a tall order, but um, I'm a pretty big fan. I have one tattoo, and it's a Radiohead tattoo. So, uh, yeah, this album's awesome. Uh, It's What of of Radiohead? (laughs) So, it's... um, I don't know if you know, it's (laughs) actually from the OK Computer artwork. Uh, It's this... Uh It's There's a picture in the the liner notes. Liner notes are these things that used to come in... uh, 
CD booklets, and CDs are these <laughs> things that used to uh, you used to buy in stores with music on them. Um, it's a it's like a it's like a little cartoony image of two guys shaking hands uh, from the OK Computer artwork. Oh, yeah. right, right. Um, but anyway, so OK Not OK is a remastered, re-released version of of their of of OK Computer um, with uh, a bunch of B sides and three previously unrecorded tracks. Two of which um, I used to listen to as scratchy bootlegs like 18, 20 years ago, hoping and praying that Radiohead would release them as real tracks. Mm-hmm. And so they finally did. And not only that, they created videos for them. So I've just been giddy for the last, like, I don't know, two months since this came out. <laughs> so, so that's me. My name is David Grabowski. I'm a production editor for Winning Edits. And I have just stumbled upon a series of albums called Late Night Tales, which is by a company that's called Late Night Tales. And basically they're compilation albums that different artists curate. So one of my favorite artists is called the Cinematic Orchestra. Um, they're a combination like jazz band with a DJ. And uh, so that's how I found them. And so they basically just hand select two LPs worth of music um, that all kind of have the same sort of late night vibe to them. So Bonobo has one, Groove Armada has one, Nightmares on Wax, Zero Seven, John Hopkins. There's one here even by Fatboy Slim. Um, so it's a really, really cool series. And, uh, you know, it's just really interesting to hear what artists that I, that I know pretty intimately, what they're into right now, bad, bad, not good, just put out an album, uh, through late night tales. And they all have this creepy, uh, like story at the end that's narrated by someone. Uh, I know that, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch does one. And uh, it's just like a, a creepy little like like audiobook of a short story at the end of every album. And for people who like physical music, they also sell them all online as double um, double vinyl LPs. So yeah, it's awesome. That sounds amazing. It does. Let's just start out and talk about the trends that we're starting to see in media. Um, are people leaning more towards podcasts or films or kind of a mixture of different? media. Um, so what are your thoughts? Well, I was reading a, uh, an article yesterday actually about, um, why podcasts are so successful. Cause I was thinking about it and I was like, why are these so successful? And one of the reasons is, is actually kind of like a psychological reason. So when you hear audio, but you're not seeing any, any visual imagery and you're imagining it along with the audio that's playing, apparently there's like a psychological effect. It triggers your imagination in a way that that film doesn't, and in a way that reading words doesn't. I think right now it's sort of a mixture of everything in kind of the new media world. Like, anything goes, there are all kinds of sort of crossbreeds happening, you know, where you have a podcast that maybe uh, relates back to a text that you're reading online, and I just think there's a lot of opportunity for sort of new hybrids to come out. Jumping off of that, I, I think when it comes to podcasts specifically, I think people want authenticity and and with podcasts and and personally my my favorite types of podcasts are those where i can feel like i'm in the room you know and sort of listening in on on personal conversations and so that sort of um authenticity that that uh intimacy is a is a draw for really any stories that that i'm consuming I I tend to think they're really popular right now because people are so busy. I know for myself, uh, 
totally. You know, when when you're reading a book, that's the only thing you can do is read a book. When you're watching a movie, really, the only thing you can do is watch a movie. But if you're listening to a podcast, you can be driving to work, you can be jogging, you can be taking a walk. People's lives are so busy that they're multitasking more. And at least for mm-hmm. me, that's why I listen to so many podcasts. Do you guys feel like it's um, like it's easy to... Like, do you ever feel like podcasts are distracting? Do you feel like that works? Because um, I think that's sort of the popular uh, conception of why pod or idea of why po- of why podcasts are popular. Um, but do you ever like? Do you find it distracting ever to listen to podcasts, or do you feel like you can go about your daily life or, or work while you're listening? And- I need it. I need it. I absolutely <laughs> need that distraction. I mean, I've been a talk radio junkie basically my entire life. Like starting. I got a clock radio when I was 14 um, that was like the thing I wanted more than anything else for Christmas so much so that um, we would go to Target in the like month leading up to Christmas and every time we would go, I would go and stare at this radio and finally my mom was like, do you need to watch me buy it? I promise you'll get it for Christmas. I wanted it so badly. And basically from that moment in my life forward, um, I have sound on pretty much all the time, um, and it's usually people talking. It used to be there. There used to be some really quirky talk radio in the Twin Cities. There's one person in particular. Um, his name is Tom Mishke, and he now has a podcast that is absolutely fantastic. It's called the Mish- Mishke Roadshow, um, and he's just he's just an interesting guy who is interested by people but listening to people talk um helps me focus on other things it's it's absolutely necessary for me and when i work if i'm doing anything other than writing i will pull up videos of people um playing video games and talking about playing video games uh and i will just listen to that chatter while i work and it totally helps me focus so for me like the distraction of a podcast is definitely a feature and not a benefit it seems like we should have included in, uh, among you know books music movies podcasts like video game streaming or whatever you want to call it, whatever Twitch is, whatever form of media that is. Yeah. I mean, it's absolutely the best. I am not so like hardcore that I'm like into Twitch and I have, you know, I follow that sort of thing. Although I do play the game Hearthstone a lot and I will watch. You do. I totally (laughs) do. Screen share with me. I'm like, Oh, she's playing Hearthstone. I have, I always have (laughs) it running in the background. And part of that too is then it's really easy for me to turn on the video game music in Hearthstone while I work. If I'm writing, because, I think Known was the one who clued me in on this, is like video game music is specifically written so that it is interesting but not distracting, right? Mm -hmm, It keeps mm -hmm. you focused. And so um, I listen to that a lot. But I really love... um, I love people who are kind of making jokes about about their playing and who aren't trying to be amazing but are just having a really good time. So the Polygon video channel is fantastic because they they do silly things with video games. Like they have this whole channel called Monster Factory where they take um video games where you're allowed to create your own character and they make hideous hideous monsters and then play the game with their like 
weird creation, um, and that's really hilarious. Or the one that I'm really into, but this one is too good, and I can't actually work while I watch it, is um, their their um, series called Awful Squad, where they're playing the game Player Unknown Battleground, which is like the worst title for a video game. I cannot keep it in my head, but dude, this game is com- Player Unknown Battleground. Player Unknown's Battleground, and I get it wrong most of the time. I try to say, but. It's super great. You get on a plane, you get dropped into an environment, and you have to collect weapons and try to stay alive. There's a zombie mode, so you can battle zombies. And as you're playing, then there's a circle on the map, and the circle constricts every... You can change how fast the circle constricts, and if you're outside the circle, you die. So you both have to stay alive. You're battling other players... Um, to stay alive, but then you also just need to not... You need to get to the right part of the map in time, or you'll die. It's pretty awesome. Can someone explain the Twitch thing to me? I, <laughs> is, it, is it literally you're just watching somebody play video games? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're watching people... Why, pe- is, that, why um, is that cool? Well, part I, I of it, done it, but... Yeah, part of it is, it, you know, if you watch a really great player, you can learn how to be a better player. Um and so I'll watch some replays for Hearthstone just to learn like they come up with crazy so Hearthstone is a card based game it's sort of like you know an online version of like Magic the Gathering or something like that um Hello, nerds! Um, it's it's and it's really fun. I actually I got into playing it. Um, my then boyfriend, now husband, would play it a lot, and it was the sounds of the game. Like they have all these fun, like you play a card and it makes a fun sound, and that was what drew me in. Yeah, it's like the modern, um, you know, you you know, Nintendo magazine or something. You'd go, you know, back in the eighties and nineties, you'd read those magazines to get tips on. Mario Brothers or what have you. I've heard that that you can like you, you set up Twitch with um oh what's it called that that service that lets people pay you for stuff. Like sure, like uh, with you. Patreon. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and Patreon. People... And there are people making like tons of money just like <laughs> yeah. playing video games totally, for totally. people. The people That's who are crazy. really good at it can make a living at it. The challenging thing, I think, I think in general it seems to be like it can, you you have to know your audience well which you know is something we encounter with all of our you know all the clients we work with is they know their audiences really well and their audiences fit well with their individual personalities and with video games you just need to you need to find your audience and that's where like you know watching Polygon they're going after an audience member like me who doesn't take video games too seriously and likes to have fun with their friends and kind of horse around with stuff, you know, whereas there's other stuff that can get really, really serious, um, you know, seriously competitive and sometimes seriously mean. So uh, if we go back to the question of like, you know, do you find listening to podcasts distracting and, and and that sort of thing. I mean, I've taken a strong, I love the distraction element of it. Um, mm. And it's not that when I was younger, it was that I didn't want to be alone with my thoughts. Now I'm growing up enough, you know, like, that's not it. It's just, I like to be entertained, right? While mm-hmm. I'm doing anything repetitive, the internet has given me a way to keep myself entertained. So what about you guys? Do you find that sort of distraction... Um, a feature or you know like a or rather a benefit or does that bug you can't do it 
personally. Really? <laughs> like, Tell me why. With, with with music, like I can do certain genres of music. Uh-huh. Like I listen to a lot of down tempo and house music and some funk. But like if it's too like catchy or like it draws me in too much, almost I really can't do it. And anything with words, so anything with lyrics that are really pronounced,、mm-hmm. um, I can't I can't do it without like my mind being drawn. I think it depends on what I'm doing. If I'm doing something physical, like working out or cleaning the house or or whatever, I love li- listening to podcasts.、Um, but I can't do it while I'm working, and most of, m- much of my work is writing. So yeah, just like, just like David said, I I can't listen to anything with words, even even music. When I'm writing,、mm-hmm. so tell me what you guys like. Let's talk about podcasts. What do you guys like to listen to?、Um, you know, with podcasts, what are you loving right now? I know you all have something to say. We're all just、yeah. like, we'd always like, oh, I don't want to be first. Yeah, I、uh, <laughs> I could talk.、Um, I listen to a lot of podcasts,、uh, probably like Mindy.、Uh, I and I do. You know, I, I listen to them mostly when I either drive or. Hike or run, like those are the three activities that I listen to podcasts most. Can't listen to them while I work.、Um, I stick to film scores、uh, for that. But、um, lately, I really enjoy、uh, Paul Gilmartin's Mental Illness Happy Hour podcast. Yeah, he、uh, he has conversation. He's a comedian,、uh, improviser,、um, and he has conversations with other comedians or actors or just uh, people. Um, In his world, that you know, suffer from mental illness in some way, and、uh, it, you know, he's not, you know, a professional, but、uh, you know, a mental health professional, I should say. But he, you know, he empathizes and he suffers from mental illness himself. So the conversations are always very deeply personal and、uh, enlightening, and and always very therapeutic for for a crazy person like me.、Uh, so. I definitely like that. That's mental illness happy hour. How does it compare to John Moe's "The Hilarious World of Depression"?、Uh, John's John Moe's、uh, show is good. I like that show, but it's a little、um, it's a little on the shorter side,、um, right? You know, and、uh, it's good. It's it's it's、uh, insightful, but I, I feel like mental illness happy hour gets a little deeper、um, and 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 has a little bit more room to breathe. And it just feels a little bit more intimate. Is like the hilarious world of depression sort of the way you like ease into talking about stuff, and then once、mm-hmm. you're comfortable talking about stuff, then you move on to the mental illness happy hour. Yeah, and then after that, you just have personal one-on-one conversations with me. <laughs> <laughs> He's always available, folks. That's right. And knowing you have your own podcast, right? I do. Thank you, David.、Um, <laughs> I have a show called Joy Sandwich. Um, it's silly and fun. My wife and I run it, and it's about joy. But I, I just wanted to mention briefly a couple more podcasts that I've been listening to and enjoying recently. One is called Ethnically Ambiguous. That's how I'm usually described. Ethnically <laughs> ambiguous. <laughs> yeah. Well, the show is run by Anna and Shireen, and、uh, I met Shireen in person a couple weeks ago. She's a delight.、Um, They're based in L.A. Anyways, the show, you know, one's Iranian and one's from、uh, one's Syrian, and it's about、uh, being brown in America.、Uh, and it gets into they're very funny people,、uh, they're creative types, and gets into some really、uh, interesting conversations. And and someone like me, white 
a privileged male, like it's it's um, it's good to 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 get those data dumps into my brain and and find some humility and uh, you know just understand that world a little better. It's it's very funny and good. I recommend it. One of my favorite podcasts is On Being with Krista Tippett. I don't know if anyone yes. else has listened to that. Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah, on it's, Minnesota Public Radio. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a, a little bit more on the serious side, and it has a spiritual bent, but a very broad spiritual bent. Uh, but she interviews a lot of poets and writers. One of my favorite episodes with a uh, was with a writer named Eula Biss, and she wrote the book On Immunity, um, and she's also published a collection of short stories, but she, you know, they talked a lot about racial justice and, and racial issues. Um, she also um, talked about, uh, interviewed John Donahue, who is a, a poet on the inner landscape of beauty, um, Ruby Sales on Where Does It Hurt. Um, so just a lot of really interesting topics. Um, so that's one of my favorite podcasts. I am always listening to Song Exploder. I cannot get enough. Um, yes. The uh, host who's, I cannot, like, his name is so, it's like Rishi K. Your Way. And her, I have no her idea. Way, yeah. Yeah, He's also the host of the West Wing Weekly podcast. Really? That is yeah. really interesting. With Joshua Molina, who was on the West Wing, and every week they break down an episode of the West Wing. That's awesome. I have never watched the West Wing, but I would listen to that podcast because he's got a great voice. But it's, uh, yeah, Song Splitter, they, they basically just take a song from a, a different artist and all kinds of different artists, you know, everyone from like rap, hip hop, like indie, folk, soundtracks. They did one with uh, Alexandra Desplat um, talking about uh, the Imitation Game score, which is one of my favorite scores. Oh, that's and, a good one. Yeah, they just like go through and um, they talk about how every single element of the song was created either electronically or what they did in the studio and what the impetus behind it was and why the song was written and the way they wrote it and everything. And um, it's just fascinating. And it's so amazing how, how different artists really approach like the musical creation process completely differently. Yeah, it's amazing. And then they play the whole song at the very end. So you really like listening to it again gives you a whole new appreciation for it, especially if you've heard it before. David, how does that impact your sort of day-to-day creativity like is it impact with your you know your own music definitely yeah it definitely gives me new ways to think about the compositional process um for me you know i have i i do a lot of different kind of music i write music for like short films and short documentaries and every every film of course is super different it's it's interesting because i i i sort of approach every soundtrack really differently but but I mean, there's just like millions of ways to think about making music is what I've learned. So mm-hmm. I, it's really given me some, some more options to explore and maybe some different methods to try the next time around, which is, which is awesome. So, Well, I actually have a confession, uh, or maybe not a confession. Maybe that's a little harsh, but um, I don't really listen to a ton of podcasts. Um, yeah, yeah. Shun the I, I know, I know. Like, <laughs> kick me off the island, vote me off. Uh yeah, I uh, I would say my, my mainstay is Tim Ferriss. He's all about um, becoming an expert at whatever it is. And so he, he interviews experts from across really the whole landscape of human 
skill, um, generation or human ability. Um, so he always, he, he has a pretty, pretty wide range of really phenomenal, uh, people who've done interesting and, and amazing things, um, across like the whole realm of, of human achievement. He's a very articulate interviewer. He, I mean, he's, he's, he's interviewed a lot of people, so he's pretty good at his craft. And so I listened to it as much to, um, I guess to learn about like what makes, what makes a good interviewer. And, uh, he also, he recently came out with a, um, a TV show. I think it's like the first episode was free, but I think it's like a direct TV. You have to have like a subscription to direct TVs, whatever premium service. Um, but the show is called fearless and it's, um, it's very similar to his podcast, but it's a TV show. So you get the, the benefit of, you know, seeing, seeing the people, seeing him, uh, talk to, talk to these people, uh, as he interviews them live. Um, but he, uh, the, the first episode was posted free, uh, online a couple of months ago and he, um, interviewed David Blaine, the, the famous, um, magician of our heads, David Blaine. Yeah. He's, I mean, to call him a magician kind of sells him short cause he's an incredible guy. Um, but yeah, yeah, the show is, is, is called fearless, but it's about, as Tim says, like fearing less. So not, not eliminating your fear, but how do you right. control it and, and, and mitigate it? Um, and that, the episode, uh, with David Blaine was, was fascinating. He's, he's an incredible guy. So, yeah. So I, I find a lot, I, I find a lot, I get a lot out of, out of, out of his podcasts and the stuff he does. Um, awesome. Yeah. I would be on the opposite spe- end of the spectrum from you in that I probably listen to, 10 to 12 hours of podcasts a day. <laughs> Holy crap. I listen That's to podcasts nuts. while I bathe. I listen to podcasts while I work, while I eat, while everyone else is asleep. So Mindy, you need to, you need to figure out some sort of way to monetize that. Cause you need to figure <laughs> out like the, twi- the, like the Mindy yeah, listening to you- podcast <laughs> version of Twitch and get people to pay you for it. Listen to me, listen to podcasts. You just hear Minnie like, ooh, <laughs> wow. Yeah, when my husband comes home from work, I have clips for him. Um, it's it's when he comes home from work, we review the tabs I have saved open for him of articles, and then we review the podcast clips I have saved for him throughout the day. What I what I dig about it is it just I don't know it just it, it it's so nice to have other it's nice to have laughter around me so i typically go for stuff that's really funny one that i really love is it just reformatted it's now called wonderful it used to be called rose buddies and it was um the youngest the youngest mcelroy brother and his wife talking about the bachelor series of products and why they loved the bachelor and you guys i will not watch the bachelor or any of those types of shows but they were so delightful and so earnest in their love of the show that they were fascinating and i loved listening to them but in the last couple basically in the last year this show has gotten so entirely problematic that every episode would be them apologizing for like making us watch this garbage television right and they would say like we love garbage television we just like to get in that dumpster and root around like raccoons but they're like this is too terrible we can no longer support this show like that we have problems of like consent and problems um with race and like it's just too problematic what are we gonna do and so it's been so fascinating over the last like two months of listening to them try to figure out what are we gonna do with our podcast because we really love our podcast 
but we can no longer support this thing our podcast is built around. And so they just, in the last two weeks, reformatted their podcast, and now it's called Wonderful. And it's them talking about the things that they love, which was sort of initially what the podcast was, you know, intended to be, which was they love The Bachelor, they want to talk about it. And so that, to me, has been so interesting to watch in real time, like, people try to figure out, what do we do now? Um, so that's just been great. One, one trend that I have found really fascinating is true crime stories. I almost feel like the serial um, phenomenon kicked it off, but it, there have been several television um, doc, you know, documentaries, um, Making a Murder. Um, there was one that I just watched called The Keepers. And so, so what, what are you guys watching and what do you find interesting yeah, I, I watched Making a Murder, and uh, shortly before that, um, The Jinx. Did anybody see that one? Robert Durst. Oh yeah. Yeah, no, I, I didn't see that. I've seen the like movie that's based on that um, with Kirsten Dunst. Oh really? I didn't know they made a movie out of it. Yeah, and Ryan Gosling. Oh, interesting. But I, I will say, like Making a Murder left kind of a left kind of a bitter taste in my mouth um, after after watching the series and. Um, and reading about it and it just, the whole thing just felt kind of, it seemed like they were kind of sensationalizing it and, uh, I don't know, not being, not being very truthful about what actually happened. Um, and I don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it, but, um, it just seems like they're playing with fire and creating, you know, creating a narrative out of, out of a real, I guess, ongoing case in, in the case of, of making a murder. And I think there, it is still, um, you know, the case is still, the case is still ongoing, um, in some respects. And yeah, I just, the whole genre just seems very fraught to me. Um, and yeah, it just a, a little tricky, a little morally tricky. Like, like, tricky. like morally tricky and that you're only hearing one perspective or, or one side of the story right. or. Yeah. And you're not getting the whole story, especially if the story's still unfolding, uh, as is, or was the case with making a murder. So the keepers, did anyone watch that? I didn't watch no. the keepers. Yeah, but, um, but it when, looked disturbing. Yeah, it's very disturbing, <laughs> but very. Can fascinating. you give us a give us a thumbnail? What, what um, is it about? Sure, it's it's about a a nun in who was teaching at a Catholic school in Baltimore who was murdered, and the murder was never solved. This was, I think, in the nineteen sixties or seventies, and so you know, years later two of her students decide that they're going to try to solve this mystery. And what unfolds is this very disturbing, um, you know, story of, you know, sexual abuse in the Catholic school and, and police cover up. And so it is very disturbing. But one, one thing that I did read about it was that the difference between the keepers versus making a murder was the keepers is very focused on the victims and the victim stories and, um, you know, hearing their side of the story. So I found that very fascinating just as far as, you know, these stories are being told, but who's telling the stories and what perspective are you getting and how many different sides of the stories are there? And, you know, what is the truth basically? Something, uh, Mindy mentioned, you mentioned the bachelor and, um, just think about reality TV. And just this morning I was reading on Metacritic, um, a movie I hadn't heard of until this morning and I haven't seen it. Um, but I was just sort of scanning the reviews. 
um, is called The Show, and I guess it just came out. It came out today, actually. Um, it's uh, with a few different people: uh, Famke Jansen, Giancarlo Esposito, Josh Duhamel. Um, it's about a dating show uh, where this guy, uh, Josh Duhamel's character, um, is like the host of a dating show, and uh, one like an episode of the show ends in violence, and so the um, this network exec uh, decides to like um, basically up the ante and create a new reality show in which, um, like the, the person on the show basically kills themselves every week and, and they get like a huge payoff. Um, so it's like people who are desperate and want to support their family, like go on the show and kill themselves in front of a live audience. Um, and so this, so this is a movie. Yeah. Yeah. And so sounds like a black mirror episode. I was exactly. It sounds very similar to the black mirror episode and I can't remember the name of it, but I love black it, mirror. Some of them <laughs> really hit really close to home. Um, some of them are a little more far fetched, but that one and, and a couple others, um, like feel like they could be possible not so long from now, but yeah, it seems like there is this trend of, of exploring like, um, yeah, just the crossover between or that bridge between like reality television and non-reality television, it, which has been which has been the case for a long time. I mean, like it started with um, you know MTV's Real World, and it's just reality TV is so much in our cultural blood now that crossover keeps getting sort of mined and and explored and and taken to dark places. Um, thankfully, we don't actually have a reality show that involves people killing themselves in front of a live audience. Uh, and hopefully we never will, but, um, yeah. So that's, that's a trend I guess I've been seeing. I think that's the thing about modern sci-fi is that, you know, we get to the modern age and some of the almost predictions that science fiction have made are, are sort of true almost right i mean like you know people constantly refer back to a brave new world in 1984 because some of the things that were more or less like predicted in those books are are happening now so i think from that point of view now when we watch something like black mirror and we're seeing this you know dystopian future where your like social rating carries currency you have to have so many likes to like qualify for an apartment and that, that sort of thing I think that takes on a, an, an even more sinister meaning because now we're like, you know, if this is modern sci-fi, does this mean this could actually like have a very good chance of being what our reality looks like in a hundred years or even less? Yeah, I think it's great. I mean, I, I love all I love dystopian fiction because it does speak to truths that uh, we need to be careful of. Like um, one good example of that in TV recently. Um, obviously, it's a it's a book. Uh, Margaret Atwood's The Handmaid's Tale, which is a book that we all love, I'm sure, that we read, you know, uh, came out in the 80s and just recently adapted on Hulu. And it's it's very dark. Um, The premise is very dark, but it's, um, you know, in today's age with some of the sort of um, curtailing of human rights that are happening under the current administration and, and, and things like that. Um, it's, um, also very frightening, (laughs) you know, some of the things that, that, uh, that are shown in, in that story. And it's, it's really well done. Uh, I highly recommend the handmaid's tale. Y'all, I just like happy stuff. (laughs) I, uh, man, it, 
of course, as I say that, then I think back to to this week where I watched several episodes of Intervention, which is the opposite of of Happy. But um, um, oh, man, there's only so much like dystopia and and you know watch this documentary about a horrible thing that I can take and I find that as I get better, you know, as I grow into an adult and become better at dealing with the hard things you know, in my own life the less I want to explore that in media, right? I just want to watch some Bob's Burgers and laugh and move on you know, and then move on. And I, I guess I might be then. This is the media where I'm a ray in that I <laughs> don't watch very much television. I have the. It's interesting that you say that, Mindy, because I have kind of the opposite effect. Like I, when I'm feeling, you know, you know, when I'm having the struggles and, and obstacles in my personal life, I'm. I've always been more drawn to like the darker stuff because it it's almost like a like a not a mirror but it's it's like a hey like I'm here with you too you know yeah so so this is your area of expertise how many movies do you see in a week probably oh at least half a dozen really that's a lot of film um I see like one movie every three months <laughs> <laughs> another one I need to highlight is Okja. Uh, director Bong Joon Ho. Yeah, I keep, keep hearing about that. Yeah, it's on Netflix now. Um, uh, Bong Joon Ho made Snowpiercer, uh, the host. He's a South Korean filmmaker. It's it's like uh, I wrote a note here that it's Winnie the Pooh uh, meets RoboCop without you know <laughs> without really like robotic cops. I mean, it's it's really kind of about um, it's this sweet heartbreaking story about this girl a little girl and her pet super pig and it's a (laughs) it's a very dark uh corporate satire about the dangers of corporate greed factory farming like the treatment of animals uh so it gets into some really dark territory um but i think necessary territory nowadays um so it's 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 good it's good good satire i love it i love your deep ocean of knowledge in this area i used to be so into film like i would watch the itunes trailer page every day to see if there was a new trailer for a movie and like add it to a list and like religiously watch like yeah like half a dozen movies a week and i don't know i guess i have and then you became a dad (laughs) yeah i was gonna say (laughs) i don't have kids yeah, I'm just waiting for it's my daughter to get old happens. enough so she can watch movies that I'm somewhat interested in, you know, that aren't My Little Pony or <laughs> yeah, yes, or even to like share some of your favorites. Are you? Because that that would be the only reason I'd want kids is to sh- <laughs> is to really to shove my interest into their faces. I did introduce her to the original Parent Trap. Nice. Ooh, fun. Nice. Ailey Mills. And then she also has watched the new version. Um but she actually liked the old one better. So I was I was very that was a Good very proud, her. proud moment. Did you know that the woman who plays the mother in the original plays the grandmother in the in the remake? Yes. Oh, yeah. I didn't yeah. know that. Little fun fact. 
Sweet. A legitimate fear that I have as a father is that Emmett will see Harry Potter before he reads the books. And then when he reads the books, he will only be able to imagine Daniel Radcliffe. And yeah, keeps me up at night. That's a genuine fear. I have a confession. I've never read nor watched any Harry Potter. Man. You know, they're quite good. (laughs) I'm questioning this whole thing here. Now, I have considered starting to read the series with Desta at night, but I'm not, she's only seven. I'm not sure she's quite old enough. Wait till she's 11, then she's of the wizarding age. I still have my Harry Potter pillowcase that I purchased when the first book came out. That is so That's adorable, amazing. man. I used to be a moderator for a online Harry Potter message board role-playing game. Yay! <laughs> All right! We are I did nerds. not know this about you. <laughs> yeah, I was... I wore a lot of bathrobes. We'll just, we'll David, just you, you kind of have those Harry Potter glasses. Those you totally. I kind of do. Look. I almost got like legitimate like John Lennon Harry Potter glasses the last time I did the Warby Parker try-ons, and I was just like, I, I just, I just can't, I just can't. But I almost did. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why you named your son Quidditch. I get it. Now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's gonna have a tough time at at school. Here at Winning Edits, it's our house policy to always use the Oxford comma. Uh, We find that it helps avoid unnecessary confusion in any writing. So on each episode of this season of Hyperlink Radio, we're giving an example of how the Oxford comma adds significant clarity and often avoids disastrous misunderstanding. Um, Here to help me with today's example is Known Wells. Hello. Welcome, Known. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So today's example of the Oxford comma is very interesting because it cost a company millions of dollars in a lawsuit. So I am going to read the the offending sentence, then you can read it with the Oxford comma, which would have made a huge difference in this case. So the offending sentence is, the canning, processing, preserving, freezing, drying, marketing, storing, packing for shipment or distribution of... One, agricultural produce, two, meat and fish products, and three, perishable foods. So now you can go ahead and read it with the Oxford comma. The sentence is, the canning, processing, preserving, freezing, drying, marketing, storing, packing for shipment, or distribution of agricultural produce, meat and fish products, and perishable foods. Yes. So this is interesting because this was an actual uh, lawsuit that was brought by some dairy drivers and they were wanting overtime pay for certain tasks that they were doing during their work day. And the company who wrote up the sentence, um, they're saying that all of these tasks listed in the sentence do not merit overtime pay. However, there was a dispute because the Oxford comma was missing. So the drivers were arguing that um, they don't actually pack all of these things. They only distribute them. And so the end of the sentence says packing for shipment or distribution of. So they're saying, well, that doesn't apply because we only distribute. 
And if there had been an Oxford comma in there, um, it would have made a distinction between packing and distributing. <laughs> well, I think it's a, I think, well, being a Oxford comma lover myself, I think it's a perfect real life example of the value of the Oxford comma and the sort of importance of language and punctuation. Like it's interesting, like packing for shipment or distribution of like, it's amazing to me how uh, powerful just a little comma can be in this case. And, uh, you know, I, I just think it's um, all the more reason to be on our side, people. <laughs> Yes, yes, we love the Oxford comma, and I wonder if anyone. I wonder if the the attorney who wrote up this uh, sentence was fired. Um, <laughs> I wonder who got in trouble for this because actually the dairy drivers did win this case, and they won. Uh, I I think it was a ten million dollar settlement. I'm not sure about that, but it was something in the millions. And so the judge agreed with them that if there had been an Oxford comma in here. They wouldn't have had a case. Wow. Yeah. The power of the Oxford comma. The power. Thank you, Known. Thank you. Thanks for listening. On next week's episode, we'll be talking about sustainability and social responsibility and how it can be a challenge when you're growing business partnerships with national retailers. This is especially true if you're Adina Gregori, co-founder and CEO of SW Basics, a cosmetics company based in Brooklyn. She's been a part of the wellness and beauty industry since 2008 and knows firsthand that doing the right thing isn't always easy. Next week, she talks with us about how she's managed to scale her company up while maintaining her commitments to clean cosmetics, sustainability, and social responsibility. Listen in on our conversation with her next week on Hyperlink Radio.